Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. We are in our last week of our, our family gathers time together. And we have been going through this series in the Chronicles of Narnia. We've been talking about these books, and this is our last week, and we're excited. Today we're going to be talking about the book, The Last Battle. And so I'd love to invite the kids to come on down. Kids, come join me up front. You can sit here on the stairs, and we got some fruit snacks ready for you, and we're going to start talking. Come on down. It's a lot coming from the balcony. How are you guys doing today? Have you guys enjoyed this? Yes. Have you enjoyed this, uh, this series? How many of you have been reading Narnia? Yeah? Good. How many of you have read this book, The Last Battle? Yeah? Does anyone have this on reserve at the Salem Public Library? If you do, uh, my apologies to you. Uh, this might be long overdue, but we'll get it back later this week. Wow, a lot of kids. I love the sound of fruit snacks opening. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, kids, today what I want to talk to you about is this concept of this thing called heaven. Heaven. How many of you are excited about someday going to heaven? Can I see some hands? How many of you are excited about going to heaven? Man, that's not a lot of you. Really? How many of you are excited about, how many of you think heaven is going to be boring? Put your hand up if you think heaven's going to be boring. Couple? Maybe? Maybe? All right. I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you about heaven. This new heaven and this new earth, this eternity where we're going to get to dwell with God forever. All right? Here's, here's the first question. What animals do you think you're going to see in heaven? What animals do you think you're going to see in heaven? Doggies. The doggies. All right. Let's come over here. What animals? All of them. All of them. All right. Unicorns. Unicorns. Unicorns is a must. Zebras. Zebras. Absolutely. Giraffes. Giraffes. Snakes. Snakes. Well, that leads to the next question. What animals do you hope are not in heaven? What animals do you hope are not in heaven? Snakes. Snakes. Good, good. None. None. Okay, that's good, right? Cobras. Cobras, yeah. Godzilla. Godzilla. I hope Godzilla's not in heaven. That's a good one. My guinea pig. Your guinea pig. You don't want your guinea pig to, or you do want your guinea pig to be in heaven? You don't. (laughs) Wow. What is your guinea pig's name? What is it? Katie. Katie. Poor Katie. Man. All right, what's one last one? A tarantula. Tarantulas. We don't want any tarantulas in heaven. Very good, very good. Here's another question. We know that when we get to heaven, we're going to meet God. We're going to see Jesus face to face. But there's going to be other people in heaven. Who is the first person that you can't wait to meet when you get to heaven? Uh, The ape. The ape. Okay. All right. Is there a name to the ape? Or just the ape? Shape. Shape. Okay. All right. My grandpa. Your grandpa. That's a good one. Jesus. Jesus. Good, good, good. Back over here. 
My dog, Pepper, and Bunny. Okay, your dog, Pepper. My grandma. Your grandma. Your grandma, good, good. Let's run over here. Let's get another one or two. My uncle. Your uncle, all right. Last one. Let's come over here. My grandma. Your grandma. Yeah, heaven's going to be a time where we're reunited with just many people that we have lost. Here, I want you, one last thing. I want you to finish this line. One thing that I hope is in heaven is... What's one thing that you really hope is in heaven? What's one thing? Unicorns. Unicorns. We're, we're staying with the unicorns. Let me come over here. Food. Food. I hope there's food. I think there will be food. A dinosaur. Dinosaurs? Is that what you said? Dinosaurs? Yeah. I, why not? I think they'll be there. That's good. There's a lot of good things. Listen, I'm going to read to you guys a little bit from this book called The Last Battle. See, the way this book ends is there's this battle and there's this big barn, this big stable, and our friends from Narnia go through the door of it, and it's like they enter into this new portal, this new world. But when they go through, it's not this dark and smelly stable. It's like this new world that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they realize that Aslan lives in this world, and so they start on this journey to find Aslan and the city from which he reigns in there. But when they get to this new world, they realize it's kind of like heaven, and these crazy things happen. They realize they can run really fast without getting tired, and they say, if you can run really fast without getting tired, you probably don't want to do anything else. And they experience these new fruits, and these fruits are just so incredible. And they also realize that they can't feel afraid. They try to feel afraid, but they can't feel afraid. And so they continue to just go up, further up and further in, into this new world, looking for the place where Aslan dwells here in this heaven. Now, this book doesn't have a movie. So I'm going to read to you a little bit. And this is even better than a movie, because the book is usually better than the movie. All God's people said, amen, right? So if you would like... Would you close your eyes and imagine this glimpse of heaven? So they ran faster and faster until it was more like flying than running. And even the eagle overhead was going no faster than they were. And they went up through winding valley after winding valley and up steep sides of hills and faster than ever down the other side, following the river and sometimes crossing it and skimming across mountain lakes as if they were living speedboats. Till at last, at the far end of one long lake, which looked as blue as turquoise, they saw a smooth green hill. Its sides were as steep as the sides of a pyramid, and around the very top it ran a green wall. But above the wall rose the branches of trees whose leaves looked like silver and their fruit like gold. Further up and further in roared the unicorn, and no one held back. They charged straight at the foot of the hill, and then they found themselves running up it almost as water from a broken wave. A wave runs up a rock at the point of some bay. And though the slope was nearly as steep as the roof of a house, the grass was smooth as a bowling green, and no one slipped. Only when they had reached the very top did they slow up, and that was because they found themselves facing the great golden gates. And for a moment... None of them was bold enough to try if the gates would open. They all just felt as they had when they saw the fruit. Dare we? Is it right? Can it be meant for us? 
But while they were standing, thus a great horn, wonderful, loud and sweet, blew from somewhere inside that walled garden, and the gates swung open. Tyrion stood holding his breath and wondering who would come out. And what came out was the last thing he expected. A little, sleek, bright-eyed, talking mouse with a red feather stuck in a circlet on its head and its left paw resting on the long sword. And it bowed a most beautiful bow and in its shrill voice said, Welcome in the lion's name. Come further up and further in. And they entered into the city of God and they met many of their old friends that they went on adventures with and eventually got to see Aslan himself and realized that this is where they would spend the rest of their lives. Pretty cool story, huh? All right, I'm going to pray a quick blessing over you and then you can go back and find your seats. Lord, I thank you for these children. I thank you for the imagination that exists among them. May they release and impart their imagination into us. I bless them now. Protect them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Church, today it is our topic. We're going to be talking about eternity. We're going to be talking about eternity, the new heaven and the new earth. And I think it's something that we should be talking about more in our lives, not only from this stage, but it's just a topic that we should be talking about more. A few years ago, my family had an incredible opportunity to go to Greece for a vacation. And as we prepared to go to Greece, around our our dinner table, we began to talk about the sights we would see the islands that we would visit, the foods we would eat, the antique markets that I would drag my kids to. And as our dinner conversations just included questions, what do you think you'll be most looking forward to? Which part of Athens do you think will be your favorite? Do you think you'll try the octopus? And as we prepared for this, and it got closer, it just built this level of anticipation within us. But when we got to Greece, we realized that a lot of it was different than we thought. It was less about these incredible ancient ruins and museums. It wasn't all that. It also was this lively culture in the here and now. And there were these adventures we got to go on. And we got to jump off cliffs and taste new foods and experience just this brilliant culture. It was better than our expectations. Our anticipation brought with us an excitement. It also brought with it some misconceptions of of what a trip to Greece would actually look like. In church, I believe heaven is going to be similar. I believe heaven is going to have just these, it's going to blow our expectations out of the water. It's going to be an incredible thing. But oftentimes, we just don't talk about heaven. I'm not sure why. I, I think partly because we think it might not be all that great. There are an amazing amount of articles written to convince Christians that heaven is not boring. I find that really sad. Part of the reason why is because we have this concept that it's an endless worship service. Well, I, I don't really want to go to that either. And, 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 and I promise you it's not, but if it was just these really, really long songs, if, you know, I, I love the song Oceans, but I can only walk out onto the deep so many times, and, and if I'm having to do that for eternity, I don't know. And what would it be like to have a preacher who has no countdown clock in the back, and what would that, that's not really like where we want to be. 
But church, luckily, that's not what it is. Some don't like to talk about it because they feel that scripture is kind of vague on what the new heaven and the new earth and what eternity will be like. And while it is a bit mysterious, scripture does give us some some clues into what it will be like. And uh, it raises up a lot of questions. What is heaven going to be like? Is it an actual place? Will there be pets there? Will there be fruit snacks there? Is it endless worship? Will I have a job in heaven? Will I meet my earthly family again in heaven? How do I need to prepare for heaven? Should I start taking lessons for the harp? How how do we figure this out? In church, today, it is my hope to look at some of these questions. But as we do, I hope that it builds in us an incredible, fresh anticipation of spending eternity with Christ. I hope that some misconceptions dissipate. And more than anything, I hope that I can release a new level of imagination for you so that you can leave and start to talk about and process what eternity might look like. Sound good? So let's go, and if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 21, or if you want to go the easy route, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's found on page 1045. We're going to be reading Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord. It's an incredible vision that John has given us, and it's an incredible picture of what will be. But as we read it, I'm sure if you're like me, it it stirs up questions. And the first question that I want to discuss today with you is, is heaven an actual physical place? And if so, where will it be? Is it an actual place? And if so, where will it be? Before we jump into that, I just want to clarify, when I speak of the new heavens and the new earth, what I'm speaking about when I use the word heaven this morning is eternity with God. Heaven is a, is a confusing word because heaven is used throughout Scripture to mean different things depending on its context. Heaven can mean where the birds are, can mean the air. Heaven can mean the place where we go, uh, where the, our loved ones who have died before us are now. It's, it's, it's known as paradise. It, it can be used in that context of the place where believers are before Christ returns. But for this morning's message, I am speaking to you about the new heaven and the new earth, eternity, the city of God, the new Jerusalem where we will dwell in eternity. You see, some question whether it is a physical place. They advocate that maybe it's a disembodied existence on a non-physical place. 
Many, uh, much of this thought has come because of these pictures. Pictures like this. Pictures of, of, of saints sitting on clouds and angels and, and harps. And we have this idea that maybe it's in this non-physical place. And I don't believe that that was the goal of the Renaissance painters. And I don't believe that that disembodied idea fits well with what we see in Scripture. It fits with Eastern mysticism and Platonic thinking, but it does not fit with what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that our eternity is going to be spent in a real place, a physical city with gates and streets and rivers and animals. But the question is, where will that be? Most of us immediately look up. Heaven is going to be up there, and rightly so. We see throughout Scripture that we, we, that's where Christ is now, preparing rooms for us, where he's preparing mansions in the here and now, as we see in John 14. We see that Christ ascended into heaven. We see in, in John 6, 8, it says, 6, 38, it says that he came down from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent him. And every time Christ prayed, he looked up to the Father, well, one of the meanings of heaven is where God dwells and where he rules from. But what we see in scripture is that when Christ returns, we don't go back up to that heaven there, but rather Christ brings heaven here on earth. God comes and he dwells. This will be his dwelling place. It's what we just read in Revelation. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Church, heaven, the city of our God, the place where we will dwell for all time, comes down to earth. It is the fulfillment of what creation is groaning for. It is what we wait in anticipation for. It's why we sing, heaven come down. Rather than us being teleported to some other place, finding deliverance in some other world, heaven comes down to us. The heavenly realm, that dimension, that existence that overlaps with earth is finally realized in its fullness here once and for all. Now, the earth as we now know it, broken because of sin and rebellion, this is not what our eternal home will look like. It will be changed. It will be transformed. It will be new. But in a way, it will remain our home. The new heaven and the new earth will be similar, but so very, very, very different. The earth as we know it will pass away. It will be shaken. It will be laid bare. It will be refined and purified of all that is wrong. We see in 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything will be laid bare. But the new Jerusalem will descend. The new heaven and the new earth will be established. This earth will be remade, restored, resurrected, redeemed. It is a beautiful renewal of all things. We see this throughout scripture. We see it. Jesus says to his disciples at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter in Acts says Christ must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. 
There's this renewal, this restoration. In church, this is the whole narrative of scripture. It is a story of redemption. The garden where things were as they should be, corrupted, is now restored and brought into fulfillment. God never gave up on his original plan for human beings to dwell here with him. The creation of the new heavens and the new earth is the climax of human history. I love the way the author and pastor Randy Alcorn puts it in his book titled Heaven. He says this, he says, we get this promise, a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. And church, when we understand this truth, it leads to more questions. It leads to questions like, what will heaven be like? And what will we do for all eternity? Will we just worship? Will we have jobs? What will a day in the life of heaven be like? First off, the most important thing, the, the coolest thing that I can think of is that we will see Jesus face to face. It's an amazing thing. It's his presence in its fullness, Shekinah glory. It's what we long and plead for when we gather and we worship in this room. It'll happen. The voice that we've followed, we will see his face. 1 John 3 says we will see him as he really is. Revelation 24, 22, 4 says the resurrected people on the new earth will see his face. And for this to happen, it means that something glorious has transpired because we see that we will approach his throne with confidence. We will not walk with embarrassment, with shame attached to us. We will not walk with fear. There will be no inhibition, no embarrassment. We will walk before him radically changed, because of his righteousness, because we have been justified, we will stand before him in our resurrected bodies, untainted by sin. We will see his face and we will live and he will be our greatest joy. It's pretty cool that we'll do it in our resurrected bodies. But I hope just the concept of what does it mean to have a, a resurrected body starts to spur some questions in your mind. I hope it does. You see, Jesus, in his resurrected body, he walked, and he talked, and he ate food. We see that in John and in Luke. And we see, it's made very clearly numerous times in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 3.21, 1 John 3.2. We see that Christ's resurrected body is a model for our resurrected bodies on the resurrected earth. So I need you to just think about that for a minute. Have you ever thought about that? Have you, have you looked at those days that Christ inhabited the earth after he resurrected? There's some pretty fascinating stories. And if our resurrected bodies are going to be based on his resurrected body, it means a lot of interesting things. Some of them cool, some of them kind of freaky. I love the way N.T. Wright describes what it's going to be like. He, Jesus, appears as a human being with a body that is in some ways quite normal and can be mistaken for a gardener or a fellow traveler on the road. Yet the stories also contain, and this marks them out as among the most mysterious stories ever written, definite signs that his body has been transformed. It is clearly physical. It uses up, so to speak, the matter of the crucified body, hence the empty tomb. But equally, it comes and goes through locked doors. It, is always it isn't always recognized, and in the end, it disappears into God's space, that is, heaven through the thin curtain that in much of Jewish thought separates God's space from human space. This kind of account is without precedent. Some questions, I hope they're coming to mind. If you're a locksmith, that's probably not gonna be your job in heaven. It seems there's not gonna be locks. 
What's it going to be like to travel in heaven? Was Lewis onto something when he talks about us just being able to skim across a lake, almost like a live speedboat? Will we still have planes and trains and automobiles? I don't know. Will travel be kind of trekky? I don't know. I hope so. That would be pretty cool. But I hope that, that just thinking about this begins to release some imaginative thought into you. Talk about these things. Begin to, to, to think about this. You see, with these resurrected bodies, what we do know is that we are going to enjoy the new earth more fully than we do now. The landscapes, the animals, the beauty, it will not be boring. It will not be an endless worship service. It will, in a sense, because God's presence will be there, but we will work together. We will reign with him. It says in Luke 19 that we will have delegated responsibilities and we will reign with Christ. It will be the perfect balance of rest and work. Work without weariness. Imagine. Work without the weight and the stress. Work without the worry. Beyond that, it's going to be a place where we're constantly discovering new things, where everything is always fresh. In our renewed bodies, we will have wholeness. We will be given these creative projects, and we'll be able to complete them next to Christ. It's going to be incredible, and we need to anticipate it. We need to get excited, and that leads to our final questions. What does this mean for the now? How do we prepare for this? How do we anticipate this eternal heaven? Let me give you three things that you can take to start to practice that, that, that anticipation. The first one, recognize that the now matters. Recognize that the now matters. You see, our life now here on this earth has a purpose. It's not about just holding out until he comes back. We're holding on until we pass away and we're delivered into this new place to his side. Scripture makes it clear that the now matters. We're told in Matthew 6 to store up treasures in heaven. Matthew 19, Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Church, our friends in India that wrote the lyrics to, I have decided to follow Jesus, have rewards waiting for them in heaven. I love the way Lewis uh, shows who is the gatekeeper in the last battle? A mouse. The least will be greatest. Do you see this imagery? We see in Luke 19 the parable of the talents, and there's this king. He's crowned king, and after he returns from his travels, he calls together the servants with, with whom he has given money and asks them to protect and invest for him. He wants to find out what their profits were, and he calls the first servant up, and he asks him, and the servant says, Master, I invested your money, and I made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king says. You have been a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you with. So now you will be governor over 10 cities. Many, myself included, would say that this speaks of eternity and the reward based on we, how we handle our current early, earthly, earthly time and preparation. You see, we know that the kingdom of God is 
present now. We know that we are to be active. We receive the authority that had been forfeited in the Spirit's name. We make things right in the now. We don't just hold out and wait for his return. We make things right now. But we ultimately know that we won't usher in the return of Christ. He will come. And when he comes, there will be that deliverance. But that's where our hope is. We need to have a foot planted firmly in both of those. The kingdom of God is at hand now, and we wait for its ultimate happening when he returns and we realize it fully. But the here and now matters. I love the way N.T. Wright puts it. He says this, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. The present matters. In church, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, it called his people to action to transform the present while also sitting in excitement and anticipation about the future. The now is deeply connected to the eternal. It is preparation, not just a prelude that doesn't matter. So understand that the now matters. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is appreciate the beauty that you see now. Appreciate the beauty that you see now. You see, the beauty in the here and now is a foreshadowing of what will be. Our learning, our training ourselves to see the beauty in the now, in this current earth, this current creation, is part of our preparation for heaven. This present earth is giving us glimpses of what heaven will be like one day. It's giving us suggestions of what the new earth will be like. The best example I can think of this is like when you go to Costco and you get that cup with that taquito, that little, and you take it and you eat it and it's just incredible. And it's a glimpse into what would happen if you went over to that freezer and bought that massive box of them and took them home. Heaven is like that. It's like this glimpse, this glimpse, this, this tasting, just a little bit of what will be. You see, our world as it is now is so broken and so often we concentrate on that, but beauty does exist here. It exists in nature, it exists in his creation, but it also exists in places where followers of God are going out and breaking injustice, where things are being made right. Church, notice these beautiful spaces. Take them in and realize that you are catching a glimpse of eternity. Can I encourage you to get a journal? and start just putting down some of the things that you see, the beauty that you notice each day as just a preparation for eternity. And the final thing I wanna encourage you to do is release your imagination. Release your imagination. Let your mind go there. Who can you not wait to see? What job do you wanna apply for when you get to eternity? Yes, there are parameters on how far we can imagine heaven will be like. But within those, can I encourage you to dream and imagine and anticipate and get excited just like you would for that next vacation that you're going to take? May I suggest that you use some parameters maybe that even C.S. Lewis has laid out. In his incredible sermon on heaven, the weight of glory, he biblically summarizes what heaven is going to be like. And he says this, it is promised, first, that we shall be with Christ. Second, that we shall be like him. 
Third, with an enormous wealth of imagery that we shall have glory. Fourthly, that we shall, in some sense, be fed or feasted or entertained. And finally, that we shall have some sort of official position in the universe, ruling cities, judging angels, being pillars of God's temple. Would you utilize that and let that be the parameters and the biblical truths that guide you why you imagine? Church, let your imaginations run. Painters, painters that are here, would you offer us new renderings, fresh renderings, non-Renaissance-inspired renderings of what heaven might look like without harps? Writers, would you author for us depictions of a day in eternity? Would you capture the joy, the justice, the authority with which we will lead, travel, and break bread? And musicians, would you capture the glory concept with fresh works in lyrics and lead us in to worship? And most importantly, kids, kids, listen up. A lot of us people that are older, we lose our imaginative processes. Kids, ask the questions, throw out your ideas, get the conversations going, and you need to help us become more imaginative. Church, there's no way that as finite human beings we'll even understand a portion of how amazing and how beautiful and how infinite heaven will be. But as we learn to imagine, as we learn to discuss it, what it will do is create a hunger in us for the hope that we have that we will be dwelling in eternity. Talking about it, imagining it is a good thing. So I release imagination. I encourage you to prepare by seeing the beauty in the now and understand that the now matters. Let's pray. Jesus, man, we long for it. We join all of creation and we groan for the day where we will be with you, where we will see you face to face, where shame will be no more, where we do not walk with embarrassment, but we walk with confidence before your throne. Lord, I pray that you would bless the people here, that you would release creativity and imagination, that you would give us eyes to see where you're at work. Help us to be good stewards of what you have blessed us with in the here and now. May we see your kingdom come as we wait and anticipate the hope of seeing it in its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.